For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. I wanted to say that just like American democracy, I too am available for sale for $787,500,000. That, of course, is somewhat hyperbolic. But sadly, today it is not sufficiently hyperbolic. We are, as we have been since January 2010, when the Supreme Court decided Citizens United against the citizens, living in a country where we live or we die, and our devices tell us the truth or lie to us with impunity at the whims of the corporations. And corporations gonna corporate. In 2018, a small New York-based private equity firm called Staple Street Capital Group LLC bought a three-quarters stake in a company for $38,300,000. That company is called Dominion Voting Systems, and the settlement of the Fox suit yesterday means Staples Street just got a 1,567% return on its investment, and only in America, baby. Sorry you thought our truth bombs about what Tucker Carlson said about Trump were some sort of prelude to the end of Rupert Murdoch and Fox, but dude, ask Mr. Smartmatic over there. Maybe he'll put America ahead of corporate profits. We just got $600 million, baby. You know how many fleeces with Staples Street on them we can buy with $600 million. Money is accountability, said Dominion's lawyer. Sure, if you get the money. The rest of us, we get. Tucker Carlson on TV last night insisting there is about to be a race war. Money is not accountability. You know what accountability is? Accountability is accountability. And at the other end of this, if I see one more explanation, oh, you don't pay anybody $787.5 million if you're not guilty of something, I'm going to take hostages. Yeah, sure, Fox feels great shame. $787 million? Why, that's half of their annual profits for a year. Half of one year's profits before... The carriage rate increases they get from Xfinity cable and Charter cable and Cox cable next year, and Rupert wants to milk them for another 35%, and that would make Fox's profits next year about $2.2 billion. So the practical impact of the Dominion settlement is, instead of making $2.2 billion next year, Fox is only going to make about a million four. Time for belt tightening, kids. Sorry, Tucker. There goes your staff of ball tanners. You'll have to share with Gutfeld. As a practical matter, I will reiterate what I guessed at yesterday had made Rupert Murdoch up the ante Sunday night on a settlement deal, negotiations for which postponed the start of the trial until yesterday and ultimately shut it down right after the jury was seated. Somewhere, there was something else in the pile of items produced in discovery, something Dominion knew it had 
or something Dominion did not know it had, but Fox suddenly realized Dominion had. Something worse than Carlson saying he hated Trump. Something worse than all the executives threatening all the reporters who tried to tell the truth. Something that might have destroyed if not Fox itself, then a significant chunk of the Fox franchise in one fell swoop. In any event, I still think there is some fatal there, there, and we may never see it. Who's it about? Hannity is hateful garbage. And Ingram hasn't been all there since 9-11, but I can't imagine there's anything by them or about them that could sink Fox, quote, news, unquote, or Murdoch, or just their own shows. Tucker Carlson? Every night that 8 o'clock comes around and we don't hear a voiceover on Fox say, Tucker Carlson tonight won't be seen ever again because of the, you know, we now welcome back Bill O'Reilly. Every night that doesn't happen. I'm surprised. Any of us who ever worked with Tucker Carlson believed he did not have skeletons in his closet. He had a whole house made of nothing but closets. So if that's true... Every time you say 787.5 million, it seems smaller and smaller and smaller and kind of like something you wouldn't pick up off the floor if you dropped it. 787.5 million. (sighs) That's all. Remember the story I always tell you about the day the mother of the chairman of General Electric, GE, called up and yelled at her son because she was a Bill O'Reilly fan and her dear Bill had just said that GE had manufactured components used in roadside bombs to kill Americans in Iraq. And she called her son and the chairman of GE, her son, knew this was Murdoch's revenge for me attacking O'Reilly and Fox for six years and he just didn't need another minute of it, thank you. So he called up Jeff Zucker And he said, you know, if MSNBC mentions Fox ever again, I'm shutting it down. At that point, after years of losing tens of millions of dollars annually, sometimes hundreds of millions, MSNBC was making an annual profit of about 200, 250 million dollars. And in the next three years, it would make a total profit of around, just to pick a number that's close to the actual number, 787 million, 500,000 dollars. And the chairman of GE said, screw it. Not worth my mommy yelling at me, and he was just going to give that money back. $787,500,000. You know what $787,500,000 is? That will only cover the payroll of the New York Mets for this season and the next two. You know what $787,500,000 is? It's the Washington football team just sold for $6 billion. Dominion's litigation exposed some of the misconduct and damage caused by Fox's disinformation campaign. Smartmatic will expose the rest, said Smartmatic attorney Eric Connolly. Smartmatic remains committed to clearing its name, recouping the significant damage to the company in more than 50 countries, and holding Fox accountable for undermining democracy. Unquote. Nice touch referencing democracy there at the end, but it's not like they or any other corporation ever, or Dominion for that matter, just said they would demand an apology, or just a token firing of a Bartiromo or Janine Pirro, or one of those losers. It's not like Smartmatic pledged not to settle. Look, my friends, there are plenty of ways to hold Fox accountable for undermining democracy without doing anything that might limit the money we get out of it. We aren't going to die on the hill of something like making one Fox anchor read one retraction one night in primetime. I mean, never mind an apology. Dominion didn't even get a retraction. They got a guy on Fox reading it with the sincerity of the woman who anchors the news in North Korea. Quote, we acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. (laughs) Yeah, boy, they've learned their lesson. I mean, they're already lying about the settlement with Dominion about lying about Dominion. Howard Kurtz who used to be a media reporter at CNN and the Washington frickin' Post, and then one day became a streetwalker on Fox, Howard Kurtz was reporting on the case from the courtroom, and he would not say how much money Fox had agreed to pay because he said he couldn't independently verify the figure. Yeah, they've learned their lesson. 
We acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. Christ! Susan Collins would be embarrassed by this highest possible grade weak sauce. The White Star Line acknowledges that RMS Titanic missed its estimated time of arrival at Pier 54 in New York. All right, since you have not yet hit the stop button and crawled back into or under your bed, more good news, everyone. The Democrats are using the incapacitation of Dianne Feinstein as an excuse to not subpoena Clarence Thomas. I'll just read that again for you, shall I? The Democrats are using the incapacitation of Dianne Feinstein as an excuse to not subpoena Clarence Thomas. Chairman Dick Durbin of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who I used to like and respect, is so pissed that he and his fellow Democrats on the committee are considering asking Clarence Thomas if he would like to be invited to an upcoming hearing on the ethical standards of SCOTUS. Gonna be a brief hearing, Clarence. Honest to God. From Politico, Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut, quote, rather than making the politically explosive move of subpoenaing Thomas, Blumenthal said he hoped the justice would answer committee members' questions voluntarily. Yeah, it's keeping Clarence awake at night. Ooh, did you see what they said about me? They used the V word, voluntarily. Seriously, Mr. Chairman, you think this could work? That you'll hear from him? Voluntarily? This crook? Durbin, quote, of course I would like to, but I don't think it's going to happen. So? Subpoena? From NBC, I swear I'm ready to primary Dick Durbin right now. Quote, a Democratic aide noted that issuing a subpoena would require a majority vote by the committee, which the party doesn't have, with Senator Dianne Feinstein out indefinitely on medical leave. Quote, So that option is out of the question, unquote. So that option of bringing to justice a corrupt Supreme Court justice who sure looks like he's been selling his vote to this fascist, legal activist, mega-donor, and Hitler collector, hate him, love his landscapes, selling this guy his vote for 27 years, that option is off the table because nobody has the guts to say, we're getting Ruth Ginsburg again. We are pretending this is a tenured job on the faculty at Vassar or Williams. We are pretending that if they needed one vote to subpoena Sonia Sotomayor, Republicans would not push their Feinstein down a flight of stairs. We're playing by flag football rules and the Republicans are all carrying guns. But no, for God's sakes, we can't get a senator to resign 20 months early. So maybe we have a chance at preventing Clarence Thomas from handing the next election to Trump or whoever pays him the most. Maybe somebody can make a settlement with Clarence Thomas and Harlan Crow. I mean, $787,500,000 would crush Harlan Crow. Oh, right. He's worth $2 billion. (sighs) The White Star Line acknowledges that RMS Titanic missed its estimated time of arrival at Pier 54 in New York. I mean, Jesus H. Christ on hockey skates. Still ahead on this edition of Countdown. Well, the news gets much better. The lesson from Topeka, if you are going to destroy several cases of Anheuser-Busch beer at a Walmart, please remember, keep your pants on. Do not also expose your can opener to the cops. This is the worst question I have ever heard anybody ask of any MSNBC host, including questions asked of me. It was about her guests. The question was, quote, those are all Democrats. Do you think about putting more Republicans on? And then later, okay, what's the problem? Four shows and no Republicans. The person who asked that question is Kara Swisher. And spoiler alert, she's the worst person in the world. Maybe for the next several months. 
That question is at the heart of the disaster that is American media and American politics. I'm so mad, I'm gonna turn the music off as I read the script. And then evidence that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and absolutely cable news corrupts worst of all. That's next, this is Countdown. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Coming up, an extra special edition of The Worst Persons in the World. Spoiler alert, it's Karis Swisher. First, postscripts to the news, some updates, some insights, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Washington, the Republican Party. Summarized in two sound clips from yesterday, Mitch McConnell returned to the Senate. Manu Raju of CNN hit him with a solid question. Are you comfortable with the fact that your party's leading candidate for president is facing criminal charges and could have be facing a trial in the middle of this election? Well, Manu, let me put it this way. <clears throat> I may have hit my head. But I didn't hit it that hard. Good try. Now McConnell's scoring off me. Mm -mm, That is it. Funny line, fascist. And still Dateline Washington, Barney Rubble cleaning up Trump's language of racism and hate with her bottomless paint can of stupidity. I would like, for the record, uh, to address something that one of our colleagues across the aisle was talking about, which was Asian hate in reference to President Trump. President Trump never spoke any language of racism or hate. He did, however, uh, call, and many of us have, called the COVID-19 virus, the Wuhan flu, the Chinese China virus, because we feel it originated from China. How about when Trump called it Kung Flu? How about then? I'd say she was trolling us there, but that would take effort. I will note Midge was wearing glasses as she said that, presumably to keep her brain from slipping out through her pupils. 
Thank you, Barney Rubble. And thank you, Nancy Faust. And Dateline Topeka. You are listening live to Carnage at the Walmart. A man went to the beer aisle, the very large beer aisle, at the Walmart, the one on Southwest Wanamaker, and somebody filmed him, and he done threw a six-pack after a six-pack and a 24-pack after 24-pack on the floor of the Walmart, and a couple of cans directly at people who were filming him do that, and that's what you heard. And no, police are not saying this was because of the right-wing echo chamber's obsession with Budweiser giving some free beer to a trans influencer for a video but that's what it was. What Topeka police are saying is that J. Dustin D. Kane was arrested and charged with felony battery, assault, and exposing his genitals in public. Although I'm hearing the exposure of genitals charge may be dismissed because of insufficient evidence. Stateline Marilago. Speaking of which, the second round of Donald J. Trump NFT trading cards is out, each showing him carrying things he could not lift while wearing clothes he could never fit into. While most of us are just laughing at this point, with the faithful, DJ Chump may have just jumped the shark. Not that he could actually jump. Tommy Laren writes, I am a Trump supporter, but these NFTs are just too much. Thank you, Timmy. Better line from alt-right lunatic Tim Giannette, a.k.a. Baked Alaska. I can't believe I went to prison for an NFT salesman. Uh, yeah, Mr. Baked, the, uh, the rest of us, yeah, we can. Still ahead on Countdown, the sad wake of the sad settlement of Dominion v. Fox is the right time to address a sad reality. Cable news eventually corrupts everybody it touches. Hell. News media eventually corrupts everybody it touches. Of Rachel Maddow and Paul Harvey in Things I Promised Not to Tell. Good day? First, time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Jimmy Patronus, runs a fish restaurant in Panama City, Florida, also the chief financial officer for the state. He's one of Ron DeSantis's flunkies there in the Wokey Finoki Swamp, and he wants corporate America to know it is pissed off, two of our greatest living Americans, and it should do something about that. Quote, if I'm Bob Iger, I'm working around the clock to try to figure out how to make amends with Ron DeSantis. Just like Bud Light should be working around the clock to go kiss Kid Rock's ass. This is a problem needs to be addressed, unquote. This Patronus said everything but, you got a nice amusement park here, be shame something happens to it. The runner-up Congressman Jim Jordan only heard about this yesterday. Remember his Manhattan crime hellscape hearing on Monday in New York, the one designed to beat up Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg on behalf of Donald J. Trump? One of his key witnesses was a woman named Jennifer Harrison, whom he introduced as the founder of Victim Rights New York. She was at the hearing, then she went on Fox. They told her sad past. Her boyfriend was stabbed to death at a club. And not to dismiss this, murder is murder and grief is grief. But Jim Jordan and Jennifer Harrison left a little something out of the New York story. Her boyfriend was stabbed to death at a club in 2005 at what newspapers described as a go-go bar called Lookers in an argument over a woman. And the go-go bar, and this is the relevant part, where he died was located in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which, as they will tell you in Elizabeth, New Jersey, ain't Manhattan. But the winner, and I'm going to kill the music for this one as it comes to an end anyway, because it's going to take a while and the music will get real annoying. 
The winner is Karis Swisher, who is an internet reporter and commentator. It is a rather remarkable thing that people can rise to prominence in allied media fields simultaneously over decades and never know about each other. But I swear until sometime last fall, I had never heard of Kara Swisher. Then I heard a few podcasts and I read a few stories and I thought, oh, I know how I missed her. She's just one of those, I know everybody in this field, so it doesn't matter if I don't know what I'm talking about kind of people. Here's the first example I have thought was worth mentioning to you. Ms. Swisher had the former Biden press secretary and new MSNBC weekend host Jen Psaki on her podcast, and she made a big deal of, well, let me just quote the transcript. More or less, I think this is correct. Swisher. Hakeem Jeffries was your first guest. You spoke with New York City Mayor Eric Adams and Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in your first episode. Those are all Democrats. Do you think about putting more Republicans on? Saki. Yes, I'm all for it. Governors, members of Congress. Swisher. Okay, what's the problem? Saki then says, there's no problem. And Swisher answers, all right, but four shows and no Republicans is. And then she made a kind of dismissive sound. First of all, if you had Mayor Adams on, that's three Democrats and one Republican because he ain't no Democrat. But that question which I heard repeatedly when I started the current version of MSNBC and hosted Countdown There. That question, were you thinking of putting more Republicans on? That is one of the things desperately wrong with this country. You know what four shows and no Republicans is, Kara Swisher? Way less lying. You know what four shows and no Republicans is, Kara Swisher? Beginning to correct the imbalance in the media that began in the 1980s when demons like Rush Limbaugh and Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly began to plant in the thin minds of the gullible people of this country like you, Kara Swisher, that the only way to fairly cover a political story is if you have a Democrat on, you have to have a Republican on as well. And the people who fell for that crap, the people who fell for the fair and balanced Balanced, both sides brainwashing. The people like you, Kara Swisher, are the reason we got Trump as president because week after week and year after year and decade after decade, actual journalistic outlets running from NBC News to the New York Times have lived in abject terror that somebody like you, Kara Swisher, would say, do you think about putting more Republicans on four shows and no Republicans is... With ever-increasing certainty, the Republican Party has devolved into a fascistic organization that will tell any lie, poison any well, and exploit any seeming fairness or balance or constitutional right or moronic both-sidesism like yours, Kara Swisher, to push its propaganda and gaslighting and hatred and perversion upon this country on any channel it can hold for 10 seconds. It is how we get the New York Times prostituting itself on a weekly basis, fulfilling the, but in this Ohio diner cliche, for 30 goddamned years, this country's largely fair and certainly earnest news media has been slowly strangling itself to death and strangling the country with it with dispatches from this Ohio diner. To hell with this Ohio diner and anybody who thinks we need another story from it. Do you think about putting more Republicans on? No, I don't, Kara Swisher. I think I'm going to have to meet my maker someday and explain my life to him, so I do not think about putting more Republicans on. And when MSNBC began to make it clear to me I was going to have to put more Republicans on in 2011, I found the first exit, and I left. Because Republicans have a dozen television channels running 24-7 on which they can say anything with no reply, with no balance, with nobody saying, do you think about putting more Democrats on? Because, Kara Swisher, the premise of being a Republican today is you are a victim. You are the victim. Christ had nothing on you. Whatever it is, it is weighted against you. It is crooked. It is unfair. There are hundreds and hundreds of not just Republican media outlets which never 
ever offer a platform for a meaningful debate or anything but a cartoon liberal or Democrat. The entire political media marketplace barely has any room for any Democrats as it is, with literally just one or two exceptions. Every network, every distributor, every publisher, every corporate overlord is conservative. And what media outlets are democratic, just in the way Fox is, is a question I would like to ask you, Kara Swisher. What media outlets are democratic in the way Fox is? And the answer is none, not one. Not one of them lies for the Democratic Party 24-7, endlessly, shamelessly, murderously. There isn't a Democratic version of the George Soros bogeyman. There isn't a Democratic target like Dominion. There isn't a Democratic equivalent to Seth Rich or Pizzagate or Trump. And a chance to actually push back some of the tide yesterday was sold for $787.5 million because Republicans have that kind of money. Money with which to cover up their lies. Do you think about putting more Republicans on? The answer is no, Kara Swisher. The answer is hell no. And I hope Jen Psaki never does either. I hope what's left of MSNBC never does. I hope I never do. Do you think about putting more Republicans on? No, Kara Swisher, because I think. Kara Swisher, today's worst person in the world. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Still ahead on Countdown, cable news. Even when it's good, it's bad. Because if you stay in it long enough, it will destroy the goodness in you. This, of course, assumes there was goodness in you. A dark tale of the likes of Rachel Maddow and an old radio star named Paul Harvey. Next. 
First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. In this case, there are four of them. The last of two litters of 17. Brown and white and cream and gray, regular mutts, hounds of some kind. And the man in charge of them at Nassau in the Bahamas had to leave them with a friend, and he fed them rotting food for a week because they're just dogs. One has already died of Parvo. The other four are fighting for their lives with Parvo, looked after by Pawtee Cake Refuge of New York, and they need whatever help you can give them. You can find them for donations at givinggrid.com. They're listed as Parvo Stinks Puppies. They will also be on my Twitter feeds. I thank you, and the puppies thank you. I have noted on Twitter and in this venue that for two years I negotiated with MSNBC to bring Countdown back there, and unfortunately, ultimately, the thing was killed off by the word of Rachel Maddow. At least that's what the president of NBC News told my rep. The response among those who remember has largely been about what a startling end this is to a story that began with MSNBC firing her, me bringing her back as a guest on my show, then hiring her out of my own pocket to keep her from going to CNN, then spending a year and all of my political capital agitating to get her her own show on MSNBC following my own. The response among those who don't remember is that I once did the news or something there, and I have a lot of nerve besmirching her blessed name. It is a common thread in the careers of people in media that they come this close to thinking that the viewers or listeners or fans or whoever actually keep some sort of notebook at home in which they jot down all the career moves of their favorite announcers and TV people. Whenever Bill O'Reilly was criticized, whether for white supremacism or just bad pronunciation, right you are, Mr. Meyerhofer, his go-to response was to claim that the critic did not watch his show every night or know his history. You're not supposed to know his history. You're not supposed to know my history. I'm supposed to say, when you say you saw me on SportsCenter last week, when it's actually been like two and a half years or maybe 20, I'm supposed to say, thank you. That's the whole deal. People do not keep notebooks at home with the start and end dates of all the jobs of their favorite or least favorite TV figures. You'd be surprised how many people on TV think you do keep those notebooks. And just consider the expense required for such notebooks that would be needed just to write down only all of my jobs. This allows for one of the most interesting phenomena of I was going to say of television or politics, but in fact, it's one of the most interesting phenomena of life. To really flourish in media, the startling number of very, very successful people have changed their origin stories. For two years, I was the primary backup host for a radio news commentator named Paul Harvey. You are not required to know who he was, but in his time, there was him doing news and commentary on the radio, and then there was everybody else combined who combined had nearly all the influence that Paul Harvey had by himself. Paul Harvey appeared six days a week on the ABC radio network from 1951 through 2008. The years I backed him up, 2001 and 2002, my bosses at ABC told me that the net profit for his Paul Harvey News and Comment and the rest of the story series was $44 million a year on network radio. He split it with ABC, and ABC was damned happy with the split. Thank you, Paul, was the standard greeting. He was famous for those long pauses. The sign-offs were... Oh, Harvey, good day, or, and now you know the rest of the story, but the rest of the story really was that Paul Harvey had what he believed was a terrible, dark, evil secret. No one could mention this nor the name of the other person involved, nor the nature of the terrible thing that had happened on fear of absolute banishment from the world of Paul Harvey. 
The ABC executive who told me this story would not even tell it to me inside ABC Radio News headquarters. We went and had coffee at a diner, and he kept looking around to make sure nobody else was there from the network. The story goes like this. In 1951, Paul Harvey was a young newscaster in Chicago. ABC Radio liked him, had helped him move to Chicago from his hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it would periodically use him on the network as a backup host, just as I would be a backup host for him in 2001 and 2002. The guy that Paul Harvey backed up in the late 40s and early 50s was named H.R. Bockage, B-A-U-K-H-A-G-E. He called himself just Bockage on the air. And he was already a star news reporter in this country when they invented radio. He had covered World War I for several newspapers. He'd gone to work for ABC Radio's predecessor, the NBC Blue Network, in 1932. It was just a distinction to keep you clear that it wasn't the NBC Red Network. They didn't talk blue or anything, unfortunately. By 1951, Bockage was on ABC's TV news, and he did this daily 15-minute news roundup on ABC Radio. And then he went on vacation. So, they asked that kid from Chicago, Paul Harvey, to fill in for Bockage. Bockage was 62, and it was sure great that he had covered World War I, but that was literally an entire world war before the one everybody was still talking about in 1951. ABC executives liked the young, brash, dramatic Paul Harvey, and so when Bockage came back, they fired him. They gave Paul Harvey Bockage's show. But you weren't allowed to know that. It's, it's not on the web, except in a transcript of the obit I did when Paul Harvey died. It's not in his Wikipedia page, although here's another secret. Every couple of years, I put it in there just to see how quickly somebody else removes it. This was Paul Harvey's terrible, dark, evil secret. His big break was... The guy he was filling in for got fired. I don't think, having studied this as best I could, that Paul Harvey got H.R. Balkage fired. Nor did my boss at ABC think that, but over 50 years, Paul Harvey began to believe not only that people would believe he got Balkage fired, but that someday God would avenge poor Balkage, and on that one day, Paul Harvey would get fired and be replaced by some guy who filled in for him while he was on vacation. Convinced. Convinced they would fire him from a show that made $44 million a year and would be lucky to make $4 million a year with anybody else, even me. Thus, Paul Harvey never took all the vacation time ABC owed him, not even in year 58 of his tenure at the network. And he got up at 3.30 every morning to get to the studio or 1.30 when he was broadcasting from his other home in Arizona because he was convinced that ABC would someday balkage him. Thus, there were a lot of us who filled in for him, no one for very long. I believe I may have been the only liberal to do so. I know Paul Harvey liked my style and was worried more about that than any political point of view, but we never really confirmed that because one day, the same boss who told me the story about Balkage had a great idea. If they gave it enough lead time, maybe somebody could succeed Paul Harvey whenever he went however he left the show, maybe they could make $4 million a year or, God willing, $4.5 million a year. But the key to the plan was the replacement had to become a familiar voice to Paul Harvey listeners. Well, how to do that? Paul did five days a week live and a sixth day on tape. The solution? A Sunday edition of his show called, you ready? Paul Harvey News and Comment with Keith Olbermann. Just like that. Seems reasonable. I mean, I wasn't even sure I wanted to succeed Paul Harvey or that succeeding him would mean very much as short-form terrestrial radio was vanishing before our eyes, but what the hell? All was going well until they decided it was time to mention it to Paul Harvey. 
As the ABC executive recounted it to me, there was a long pause on the phone, and then Paul Harvey said in that staccato voice, This is what will now happen. You will fly to Chicago tomorrow with a new contract for me, Paul Harvey. This contract will be for the same terms and length as the current one, but it will include one paragraph spelling out that Keith Olbermann will never again appear on Paul Harvey News and Comment. And another paragraph spelling out that there will never be a seventh day of Paul Harvey News and Comment with or without Paul Harvey or I resign. Good day. Paul knew in his heart his time had come. Bockage's revenge. Paul Harvey's Paul Harvey was at the door. So he had to kill him. You gotta control your origin stories. Which brings me back to Maddow and the time that the New York Times interviewed me, 2017, 2018, about getting her started on her own show. They were clear on that. And then a day or two later, the reporter called me back and was astonishingly sorry. But they had mentioned some of this to Maddow, and she had said she would not do the interview with them were I to be mentioned in the story, period. No Maddo, no real point to the story, so out went my quotes and all references to me. And by the way, the quotes were all positive, because I was still gullible back then. I was only 58 years old. The irony is that one of the people who prevented Rachel Maddow from getting her own show for a year was named Phil Griffin. He was the NBC executive in charge of MSNBC, first as vice president or vice executive something, I don't know, then as president from 2006 to 2021. He had formerly been the executive producer of my first show on MSNBC in 1997. Even more amazingly, he had been my first producer on my first day in my first job in TV at CNN in 1981 through 1982, through 1983, through 1984, we had a joint going away party when he left for NBC and I left for local news in Boston on March 30th, 1984. Well, March 30th, 1984, and the first eight or 10 hours or so of March 31st, 1984. It's kind of hard for me to remember. Anyway, it was Griffin who eventually, after a year, got behind the idea and took the corporate rap for putting Maddo on MSNBC after the network had fired her as a contributor two years earlier. But it was also Phil Griffin when I originally pitched him on the idea of a Rachel Maddo show at 9 p.m. following my own show, July, August 2007 this was. It was Griffin who said, quote, Buddy, no way. Who's going to watch her do the news? Unquote. The president of Rachel Maddow's new production company, which I offered the chance to own the new version of Countdown on MSNBC, is Phil. Buddy, who's going to watch her do the news? Griffin. He, like Rachel, like Paul Harvey, is very good at managing his origin story. Believe it or not, all that was the preface to what I wanted to say here, because what I got out of MSNBC for hiring Rachel Maddow out of my own pocket and beating them all over the head for a year trying to convince them to give her her own show was the privilege of announcing her hiring. I did so on my show, and a few hours earlier, I had done it on the liberal website Daily Coast, and I did it at exactly 5.05 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Tuesday, August 19th, 2008. 14 years ago Friday. It is still there on the Daily Coast website. You can find it. This is part of what I wrote. Rachel gets her own MSNBC show was the headline. And then, happy now? Quoting myself, the network will be formally announcing this tomorrow, but I am pleased to inform you in this fully authorized leak that as of Monday, September 8, our mutual friend Ms. Maddow will become host of her own show on MSNBC at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And yes, we will be making another unofficial announcement of this on tonight's edition of Countdown. My guest to analyze the Rachel Maddow news will be Rachel Maddow. Let me answer the key questions in advance. Then there's some giddy jokes wrapped around a couple of salient truths. Quoting again, four, yes, I had something to do with it. Five, yes, you had something to do with it. Six, yes, this is why I never really responded to any of the 41,754 comments that all pretty much read. And get Rachel her own show, nitwit. Eleven, no, I have no idea who will start guesting, hosting a countdown Took me five years to find her. Damn it, why didn't I think of this? She can't be the guest host anymore. I knew I'd forgotten something. End quote.
August 19th, 2008. 193 days later, Paul Harvey died. And now you know the rest of the story. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. Sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis. Appears here, courtesy of ESPN Inc., Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever, and our announcer today, since I mentioned Elizabeth, New Jersey, was Stevie Van Zandt. Everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 834th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Do not forget to keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. Every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.